Hello everyone, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Deb Johnston to answer your medical questions. Dr. Johnston's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning. It's great to be here with everyone. Thank you for being here and taking the time to share with us this morning. Yeah. This week's uh, Prairie Doc essay by Dr. Andrew Ellsworth is about healthy habits to help you fall asleep. And Dr. Johnston, I'm curious, what happens when we are sleeping and why is it so important to our overall health? Boy, you know, I think anybody who's tried to stay up for too long or who um, has trouble sleeping knows how hard it is to function the next day. You know, your your brain just isn't firing on all cylinders. Your body tires more easily. You don't have the endurance that you normally do. And over the long run, that chronic sleep deprivation can be really hard on your body overall so increasing your risk of chronic diseases and it's just another form of chronic stress so our body needs that time to recharge and repair in general how many hours of sleep do you recommend for an adult each night you know i don't think there's really a truly one size fits all category i usually recommend that you know, if, if you wake up and you're ready to jump out of bed and you're feeling rested, you've probably gotten enough sleep. But statistically, it's about that seven to eight hour mark that the average adult does require. And now, you know, you can't really catch up on that. So you can be someone who, you know, gets four hours a night um, during the week and then sleeps in on the weekend and, and gets half of their weekly sleep on the weekend. But you're not really paying off that sleep debt. You're just, you know, better rested at the moment, but you haven't repaired the damage you did in that in that time. So it really is important to try to get adequate sleep every night. I often think about our different workers in our community yes. who have to work at night and make those transitions. Um, that is really difficult. And um, that is, a, you know, working night shift in and of itself is very difficult for people. And those switching shifts is extremely difficult and very hard on, on the mind and body. I mean, it's a definite risk factor for depression, for example, for all kinds of chronic illnesses. So it's really important for those people that work those odd shifts, they've got to have a, a solid block of sleep. I, I just cringe every time one of my patients say, well, yeah, I work nights and and I go home and I get a couple hours sleep and then I get up and I, you know, get the kids off or I do whatever I have to do there in the morning with everybody else. And, and then I take a nap in the evening or the, before I have to head back to work. And that's just, that is not sustainable for the long term. So I really encourage you if you have friends or loved ones that work nights, not to expect them to have 
the same schedule you do during the day. You know, they they really need that sleep time just the same way you do. You know, those of us who work a regular schedule would never dream of scheduling something for two o'clock in the morning and expecting the rest of our friends to be there. So why do we do this to our, our friends and loved ones who work nights? Mm-hmm. We, we just really need to let them have that sleep. And it's really important that they maintain that same sleep schedule on the days that they're off too. So if, you know, if it's the weekend and they don't have to go to work tonight, we shouldn't expect them to be up and doing things in the morning with us. I mean, they've, they've still got to use their regular habitual sleep time in order to have any hope of getting quality sleep. Interesting. Very good. Well, it's time for us to take our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430, and we have someone there to write down your questions so we can discuss that this morning. Yes, please call in, everybody. Otherwise, you're going to get to hear me talk about flu shots all day. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So 692-1430. Well, before our break, we were talking about sleep and sleep um, patterns and how it's important to establish a consistent time that you're sleeping. What tips do you have for falling asleep if people have trouble falling asleep at night? That that is a really, really common uh, complaint that I hear. And I have a set of what I call sleep habits. Uh, Sometimes they get called sleep hygiene, but I like sleep habits better. And I often find talking with people that... um, they're really kind of doing everything wrong, <laughs> trying to fall asleep. So, um, you know, that consistent schedule that we were talking about earlier is a really, really important thing for people who have trouble sleeping. You, when I talk about these, we're all going to know somebody who breaks every single one and still sleeps fine and gets to sleep easily, sleeps through the night, wakes up feeling rested and ready to go. But if you're having trouble, the more trouble you're having, the more closely you need to adhere to these things. So that regular schedule that you really need to keep. Uh, If you're really, really tired, going to bed a little early is better than staying, than trying to sleep in. It just seems to, to help you a little bit more. Um, having a kind of a soothing bedtime routine, no screens within an hour or two of bedtime. I know we were talking before about the blue light blocking um, glasses, and you know that may be somewhat helpful, but you're even better off with no screens at all. So read a book, listen to some music, um, meditate, pray, take a bath. You know, do do something that's kind of soothing and and a little bit low key. Regular exercise is really important for helping people sleep, but you don't want to do that right before bedtime because that kind of revs you up, and a lot of people find it very hard to sleep then. Um, A lot of people say that, well, I have a a nightcap, I have a drink, and it helps me fall asleep. Well, it might help you fall asleep, but it also keeps your brain from going into those deeper sleep phases. So I really don't recommend alcohol close to bedtime. Caffeine close to bedtime I'm somebody who can drink caffeine right up until until I fall asleep, and it very rarely gives me any trouble. 
but everybody's a little bit different with their sensitivity. And if you're having trouble falling asleep, get rid of that caffeine in the afternoon so that it's out of your system by the time you try to fall asleep. If you're not sleeping, get up and do something boring. I like <laughs> to recommend folding laundry because there aren't very many people who get caught up in that task and can't put it away. I don't recommend that you get up and watch TV because then you'll sit there for two hours saying, this is really stupid. I can't believe this ever got made. Why would anybody make this? <laughs> and then two hours later, it's over and you're thinking, I can't believe that I actually watched that whole dumb movie. But she yes. did. So don't turn on the TV. Um, so regular sleep time. Reg oh, save bed for what it what it you need to do in bed so uh the main thing that we can probably talk about on public on radio is uh is sleep um i think we can all think of another activity that we might want to save for the bedroom um but no reading in bed no talking on the phone in bed um no you know studying in bed uh no computer work in bed the your body needs to know what it's supposed to do when you're going to bed so those are some some basic rules um, there's a few others but I haven't been writing them down so I've forgotten what I've already talked about yeah, so yeah. those are are some really good um, really good guidelines for making sure you get some good sleep oh another one turn the clock around so that you can't sit there and keep oh. looking at the clock and saying oh if I go to sleep right now I can still get five hours of sleep sure. oh if I go to sleep right now I can get four and a half hours <laughs> of sleep that is very counterproductive if you're not sleeping get up and fold that laundry tell me more about okay so if you can't fall asleep get up and do something boring yes how does that so if it, you're just getting frustrated, so just get I, up and take a break. And that's that's it. And and you want to again, you want to train your brain, you train your body that when I go to bed, I go to sleep. So if I'm laying there tossing and turning, I'm not training my body for that. So I want to get up, do something dull until I feel tired, and I've given my my brain a chance to hit that reset, and and go back to sleep. Meditation can be very helpful just to kind of soothe your brain and, and calm your brain down. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be something that you do before bedtime. Um, you can try it in bed, but again, I think most, most meditation practitioners would tell you to sit upright, and that's not really what we want to be doing. We just want to calm that brain down, help that brain go to sleep. Is it the same suggestions for if you wake up in the middle of the night? Like maybe you, you are fine going to sleep, but you wake up at 2 a.m. consistently and can't get back to sleep. Yes, those are very similar suggestions that okay. you might have. And sometimes people who have trouble with sleep may have an undiagnosed anxiety disorder or depressive disorder or you know, there may be a lot of, of stress in your life that's interfering with your sleep. And maybe you need to talk with your doctor about medication to help with that underlying mood disorder. Maybe you need to s have a few sessions with a counselor to kind of help work out whatever it is that's bothering you uh, and keeping you awake. And sometimes you just need to accept that we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody is, is stressed and it's hard for everybody and, um, and it's perfectly normal to mm -hmm. be stressed about it. Right. I, um, have a number of friends and such that who have a, a watch who tells them about their sleep. Um, 
Do your patients use that? And is that helpful to you when you when you when they have those reports? I, I do have some patients who use it. Um, I don't know that that has really been validated. So I don't know how okay. reliable that information is. But I know a lot of my patients use it and and seem to really like it. And um, it's it's not necessarily data that I use a lot okay. for them, but uh, it's, you know, it's it's okay if they want to do it. It's just not necessarily something that uh, that I take at face value. Sure. When is it appropriate to consider taking medication to help you fall asleep? So I am not a fan of most of the over-the-counter uh, sleep medications. Most of them are based on just actually Benadryl, diphenhydramine, and antihistamine. So it does tend to be sedating. Uh, but it also can have a real hangover effect the next day and uh, increase the risk of car accidents and kind of sluggish brain and those kinds of things. And in people that are older, it can really increase the risk of falls. In older men, it can cause problems with their prostate and urinary retention. So I'm not a real big fan of that. I do have people use melatonin sometimes. Um, Melatonin is basically a chemical that your own brain makes to help regulate regulate your sleep-wake cycle. So a little bit of melatonin at bedtime, we don't want to flood your body with it. So I wish they didn't even sell the 10 milligram pills. One or two milligram for most people is, is sufficient. It's something that tends to work better if taken regularly. Again, what we're trying to do is help establish that sleep-wake cycle for people. Probably something that you want to talk with your doctor about if you are thinking about using this on a regular ongoing basis. I have some medications that I use for people, particularly a medicine called trazodone um, that is traditionally an antidepressant, but I use it more often as a sleeping aid and as a helper agent if somebody has depression or anxiety. So that, again, is not a habit-forming medication, um, and it kind of has more than one purpose. Sometimes it helps calm down that brain as well as helping you get to sleep. Okay. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We have had a couple of questions come in, so thank you for those, and we will address those after our break. If anyone else has a question, you can give us a call now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Did you know that breast cancer death rates have declined 40% from 1989 to 2016 among women? The progress is attributed to the improvement in early detection. Breast cancer is most common in women, but can also be found in men. Anyone who notices changes in the breasts, such as skin texture, tenderness, lumps, or discharge, should be examined by their provider. Women are encouraged to have a mammogram every one to two years, starting at age 40. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Please talk with your provider about your breast health and other health concerns by calling the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 605-697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 
Uh, here is a question we had. The caller has rheumatoid arthritis and is in support of medical marijuana use to help for pain. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Johnston? You know, uh, medical marijuana is, is certainly a hot topic. And I think that I know Dr. Holm was a huge proponent of, of medical marijuana and had personal experience with how much it helped him. Um, one of the big roadblocks and challenges we have is that because of federal law, it has been very, very difficult to do good quality studies on medical marijuana. Um, and I hesitate to be very enthusiastic about anything that doesn't have solid data behind it. Um, we know that marijuana is not, is not one thing. There's a lot of different chemicals in um, marijuana, and there are different strains of marijuana that have different ratios and proportions and, and everything else. So it's, it would be like saying, well, yes, I recommend pills for blood pressure. Mm. Well, okay. And I do mm -hmm. recommend pills for blood pressure, but I don't recommend all pills for blood pressure. I recommend medicines that are specifically studied for how they affect a person's blood pressure. Um, I don't give you, for example, stomach pills for your blood pressure. Um, so I think that it, there's a lot of very exciting, very intriguing, very promising things about marijuana. And I'm, I'm very much in favor of permitting the study of marijuana, uh, both for the good and bad effects of mm -hmm. it. Um, it's something that I think should be studied. Uh, I'm just a little, I have some reservations about a blanket legalization um, without understanding the goods and the bads mm -hmm. of it. And I, I'll be fully upfront that I have not, um, I'm not real intimate with the details of uh, the various options for marijuana and and what different species might be used for what i just wish that there were more study available for it mm -hmm. all right we had another caller um asking for your thoughts on resolving or improving separation issues from family members for weeks or months during this time of COVID-19 and then um, specifically perhaps for our loved ones in the nursing in the home. nursing home i think uh, of all the hardships that this pandemic has caused, the one that, that my heart goes out to the most are those people that are in, um, in congregate living settings, uh, nursing homes, uh, assisted living facilities that are really kind of captive there and their families can't go in and see them. Um, it's a it's an extremely difficult situation because I may decide that well I'll I'll take that risk to go see my mom I'll take the risk that I give her COVID but do I have the right to decide that I'm going to take that risk for her roommate too mm -hmm. um, or for the person down the hall and so it's not just our own loved ones that 
that we can potentially affect, but we can potentially bring it in and then it spreads like wildfire through the community. And, uh, you know, we saw that very early in the U.S. outbreak out on the West Coast when so many deaths happened in, in one facility. And we continue to see large infection rates and, and large numbers of deaths in a facility once it gets in there. So there are no good answers because certainly that separation is devastating mm -hmm. for families. It's devastating for patients. Um, I think that we have made some good strides that are unfortunately are not going to be very feasible with allowing some outside visits uh, with masks. Um, some places have, have revamped their physical space to allow uh, uh, distanced interactions. Um, you know, I think one of the big challenges is that as your community numbers go up, the risks with visits go up too. So mm -hmm. when we have a 5% positivity rate and we don't see a lot of it in the community, it's a lot safer for people to go in than it is when we have a 25% positivity rate uh, and lots of it in the community. You're just more likely to bring it in when there's more of it in the community. So mm -hmm. probably the biggest thing we as a community can do to make it easier for our loved ones to get visits in the nursing home or to go visit our loved ones in the nursing home is to really double down on the things that we know reduce the spread minimizing the amount of gatherings you have, minimizing the number of people in those gatherings, spreading out physically, wearing your mask, um, all of those things that we, we beat people up about doing to reduce the risk of COVID is going to reduce the spread and make it safer to go back into those nursing homes. Um, you know, that, that was a lot of those things, a lot of those plans that were underway had to be shelved when the numbers started going up again. Some places will test, and you have to have a recent test in order to go in. And I know that, that that's true in one of our local nursing homes, that even for me as a physician to go in, I have to have had a test within a certain time frame, which I think is, is a step in the right direction. The problem is that a negative test does not mean you don't have the virus and that you're not capable of spreading it. It makes it less likely mm -hmm. that you have the virus, but I am 100% certain that President Trump, everybody who came into contact with him had to be tested, and yet he still got it. Mm -hmm. um, so the test is not perfect. You can still have the virus be infectious, particularly if your test was yesterday or two days ago and not 15 minutes ago. Right. Um, so we've just got to reduce the rates in the community. In the meantime, uh, technology is a great way, uh, which unfortunately doesn't work for all people because people that have dementia have difficulty in particular using that. People that have hearing problems uh, it's it's far from perfect, um, but we've just got to reduce the spread in the community in order to make it safer for people to get back into the nursing homes and visit their loved ones. Yes. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to The Prairie Doc on KBRK and on our podcast. If you have any last questions, you can give us a call at 605-692-1430. 
it's time to get your flu shot. The influenza virus is a seasonal illness that changes every year. That is why the CDC recommends a new flu shot each year for everyone over six months of age. Now is the time to get your 2020 vaccine. It is especially important to receive the vaccine this year while we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic. The flu vaccine, along with good hand washing, mask use, and social distance will help you from getting and spreading influenza and COVID. Vaccines are available at your provider's office as well as many area pharmacies. Please make it a priority to get your flu shot soon. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Deb Johnston is here to discuss your medical questions. We've been talking today about sleep habits, and um, just recently we've been talking about COVID-19 and... um, protecting and caring for our loved ones who are in nursing homes. Um, Dr. Johnston, could you talk with us a little bit more about how we can connect um, not only with our loved ones in the nursing home, but um, our family members and friends yep. who are yep. um, other places with us during this time? Other other places, you know, of course, we've all had experiences with someone we love being physically away from us living in a different state or a different country even mm-hmm. um, and now even if somebody lives you know an hour away it's maybe not a good idea to get together for Christmas or for Thanksgiving you know the more people you have around your Thanksgiving table the more the odds are that somebody is going to have COVID and spread it to everybody else so you know we really need to be keeping our our circle small and the number of of people that we interact intimately with small. So we need to really utilize both new and old technology. Mm-hmm. So Zoom is wonderful. FaceTime is wonderful. Having that opportunity to interact across that video screen is wonderful. The telephone uh, letters, mm-hmm. writing letters, sending um, you know, news articles and those kinds of things. Sometimes you, know, you think about all the generations before us where people had pen pals and and developed very long-lasting intimate relationships without ever being together in person so all of those are are things that we can utilize again it it certainly is not a hug you Mm -hmm. know it's it's not the same um but we just need to remember that this won't last forever and we'll be able to be back together in person when you are in person, it's really important if that's somebody that you don't live with, wear your mask. You try to stay physically distant, wear your mask. Um, you know, try to stay that six feet apart. But remember, six feet isn't, isn't a magical number. It's just the number that we think reduces that viral load that you're likely to get. Because if I'm six feet from you, there's a, a circle around you, and if you remember your high school geometry, the area of that circle, the volume of that circle gets quite a bit larger, the larger the diameter of that circle is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, utilize all of the tools at your disposal. Uh, keep a, a text chain going with all the people that you love so that you can drop each other memes or mm-hmm. funny stories about things that happen during the day. I think I talk more with my dad and sister and, and brother now. We're spread all over the country than I ever did before the pandemic just because of that tool. So. Mm-hmm. 
we'll get through this, but if we get tired of it, there's going to be people missing mm-hmm. from that circle when we are able to get back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. One other thing that I'd like to, to put a push out there for is, is flu shots. It is definitely time to be getting your flu shot if you haven't gotten it already. Even people who don't normally get the flu shot, I mean, I think everybody who has listened to me before at this time of year knows that I'm a big proponent, but it's really, really, really important this year. We all need our flu shots because the last thing we need to do is add flu circulating in the community on top of our our startling COVID numbers. So we don't need to have both at the same time, either as an individual or as a community. Uh, we, we just aren't going to be able to cope with it. So please, please get your flu shot. I don't have a COVID shot to give you, but you can get your flu shot and do your part. And now is the time to do that. So Absolutely. That yep. Excellent. Well, thank you for that reminder, Dr. Johnston. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, October 29th, the On Call with the Prairie Doc television show is an Ask Anything show. Prairie Doc host Andrew Ellsworth and emergency department physician Dr. Don Nielsen of Monument Health in Rapid City, South Dakota, and family physician Dr. Rachel Suni of Avera Medical Group Brookings invite viewers to ask questions about any medical topic. Watch the full episode this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc Library, visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for the Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Deb Johnston for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. Mm-hmm.